following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. John Wesley Sunday AM May 5 preached in St Anne's was asked not to come back any more Sunday PM May 5 preached in St John's deacon said get out and stay out Sunday AM May 12 Preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19. Preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday p.m., May 19. Preached on street. Kicked off street. Sunday, a.m., May 26, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Sunday, a.m., June 2, preached out on the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday, p.m., June 2, afternoon preached in a pasture 10,000 people came out to hear me these were notices from the diary of John Wesley welcome to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Ray Greenley pastor of the National Prayer Chapel John Wesley that mighty man of God who brought revival and helped shape America with his methods of salvation, now known as the Methodist Church. This man, John Wesley, preached a gospel of righteousness. He did not believe in a sinning Christian. He believed that if a man was sinning, he needed to be saved. This John Wesley would preach that the old nature could be entirely destroyed. In fact, he preached that it was necessary, if you were ever going to be effectual in the work of God, to have the old nature completely eradicated from your life and your heart. It was called the second touch. He believed that your heart could be utterly filled with the love of God and that love was the mark of perfection. These were not popular topics. He lived in a day that was much less politically correct. He lived in a day when men said what they thought. We live in a day when I come preaching righteousness and holiness 
and it's as though I have spoken into the ether. No one seems to care one way or the other. Oh, once in a while I'll get an angry notice from someone, but I am yet to see myself being kicked off the air for preaching this or refused admittance because I preach a gospel of righteousness and holiness and the filling of the Holy Spirit and I preach against the sinning Christians and call them to repent and be filled with the Spirit of God, righteousness, holiness, to totally dedicate themselves unto the work of the Lord. Today we live in a time when people don't much care one way or the other. They have basically turned aside from the living God. Many of you listening will go to your wonderful church where you have all of your Easter entertainment. You will go to your wonderful church where you have all of your social connections. And then you'll listen to Pastor Ray during the week as he talks about becoming righteous by the power of God, not by legalism, but by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And you kind of homogenize that, you throw it in the blender and you mix it together with your church and it's sinning Christian theology and then you take Pastor Ray's teaching and you mix that into the homogenized mess and then you serve up a glass of fully homogenized confidence in Jesus with a little sentimental touch of, I want to follow Jesus. This condition is not going to last much longer. I will be very grateful when people begin to be very angry and rail at me. I'll be very happy when pastors begin to call Weva and say, get this man off the air. It will show me that somebody woke up and is beginning to understand that I'm not preaching, that you can continue in your sin and still go to heaven. America is about to wake up. Times are going to become very painful and very difficult in America. I think probably by this November, we're going to see a great deal of upheaval in America. Not just because of the election, but because people are so angry about the do-nothing Congress and about many other issues that I don't wish to get into But at some point, that ire and that anger is going to turn against those of us who preach the gospel, whether the false gospel or the real gospel. And and I believe people are going to begin to say, what is the truth? What is the truth? How do we stand with God? Are we certain we are standing in right relationship with him? Or have you lied to us, preacher? I'm eager for that day to come when men and women will begin to say it's obvious life is not going to continue as we have always imagined it would and we need to begin to get right with Jesus and pay the price to follow him because there's a heaven to win and a hell to miss and if you believe in a sinning Christian then you know that person is not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They are going to go to hell.
You cannot continue to walk in sin and be saved. Grace is not a covering for sin. Grace is that which is the divine influence of God that comes into a person's life and confronts them at the deepest core of their heart and says, your sin, allow me to remove it. Grace removes sin. It does not cover sin. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to wickedness. But the salvation language has become so corrupted that men can twist the nose of grace and make it a covering for their wickedness. How ungodly. How full of deception. That's not going to be able to go on much longer because men are going to need and women are going to need and boys and girls are going to need a gospel that has power. Not power to get money. As the Kenneth Copelands of the world teach. But rather, the gospel has power to reform a person's life to wash them, to cleanse them, to restore them, to bring them into the full peace and joy of the kingdom of God. The blood of Jesus is all-powerful. And he is, he is offering to us to break the power of Satan over our hearts, to free us of bondage. Right now, many of you don't care that you're in bondage. You'll sin a little, you'll repent a little, you'll go sin a little, you'll repent a little. You can hang with the world, you can hang with Jesus. You're comfortable wherever you go. You can go to the clubs, you can go to the erotic massages. You can go to the football, you can go to the baseball, you can go to all the professional entertainment. You can go to the movies, as one Christian said to me, wow, I'm so excited about Superman and Batman. I said, how could you be excited about that? That's not of the kingdom of God, but you call yourself a Christian. And this person said to me, oh, pastor, come on. We live in a real world. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That person's right. We do live in a real world where sin counts, even though we may not count it. It matters what we do with our life. It matters whether we're in rebellion against the Most High or whether we're just walking around doing our deal. And we've added Jesus to our life like a sugar cookie. I'm going to tell you now, Jesus Christ is not a sugar cookie. He's not a piece of pie. He said, if you've lost your saltiness, what are you good for? Well, what's salt? It's bite. It makes a difference. This week we're going to be talking about what it means to walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be easy. You may even get angry about it. 
But somewhere, sometime, we have to stop. And finally, begin to get serious about following Jesus. Now I want to tell you a story today. It comes out of the whole resurrection weekend. Obviously, Jesus was the primary actor in all of this, laying down his life for us. What a glorious story is the resurrection. A man dies, crucified, executed. The most horrendous execution. Beaten to a bloody pulp. Bones broken. No, not on Jesus. <laughs> not on Jesus. The two thieves had their legs broken. But Jesus was already gone. This Jesus is so amazing. This Sunday, the little children sang this beautiful little song. And a part of this song, they waved their hands in front of them, the palms out. And they said, Jesus is so amazing. I loved it. I had the whole congregation put their hands up and say, Jesus is so amazing. And we said it over and over. It was wonderful. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. In the midst of all of this crucifixion story, there's a there's another story going on. It's a story about Peter. In Mark, the 14th chapter, it says that after they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they all came together. But Peter followed him from a distance, as far as inside to the courtyard of the high priest. Now, instead of standing back and being separate, he wanted to get warm. So he was sitting with the servants and warming himself the light of the fire. It was cold. It was spring. It was cold. Now, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were seeking a witness against Jesus to put him to death, but they were not finding any. Many were bearing false witness against him, but the witnesses were not consistent one with another. Finally, high priest stood up in the midst and he questioned Jesus and he said, Do you not answer anything to what these men are witnessing against you? And Jesus was silent. He didn't answer. And finally, the high priest says to him, You are, you are the son of the blessed. It's a question. And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. So we have this understory going on. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the one who said, I will follow you, I will die for you. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. Oh, no. Well, they began to spit on Jesus. They condemned him to die. They they began to beat him. And all of this, Peter's watching. Now, Peter, as long as Jesus was the healer, as long as great crowds were following him, he was very brave, he was courageous. Jesus was going to open the way to defeat Rome in Peter's mind. In his mind, he had not made room, even remotely, for the possibility that Jesus would allow himself to be taken and spit on and beaten and crucified. This was beyond Peter's ability to even imagine. He joined together with this man Jesus because he saw that Jesus was in fact the Christ. He saw that Jesus had the power to heal and restore. He saw that Jesus had the power to feed the 5,000 or the 7,000. He saw that Peter, Peter saw that Jesus was such a compassionate, wonderful, wonderful man. He'd given his whole heart to this man. And now he saw this man totally out of character. He was being beaten. He was not in charge now of the crowds. He was not speaking to the crowds from his boat, from Peter's boat. Peter had left his family behind in Capernaum to follow Jesus. Everything was on the line. He'd left his fishing business. The boats were pulled up on shore, used by family members, used by people who worked for Peter, but Peter had left all of that behind. And so we find in Mark, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 66, Peter being below in the courtyard, one of the maids of the high priest comes. This is just a servant girl. She's not a a Roman soldier. She's not a, a member of the Sanhedrin. You can imagine that if a member of the Sanhedrin had come walking through the crowd and it was separating before him and he came to Peter and he said, stand up, sir. And Peter would stand up and he would say to Peter, are you a follower of this man, Jesus? I'm sure Peter would have boldly answered, yes. But it wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin. It was just one of the little maids. And she came and and looked at him in the light of the fire, and then she probably edged closer and took an even sharper look at this man with his cloak pulled up. 
She said, you also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. You were with Jesus. You're one of them. He denied it. He said, I don't, I do not neither know this man. And I don't understand what you're saying or why you're saying this. I didn't, I don't know that man. Now we begin to see something that terrifies me. I pray it terrifies you. Who knows what's hidden inside of a man or woman's heart? Who knows what's hidden inside of your heart? Suddenly, circumstances are arranged such that he's ashamed of Jesus. He says, I don't know the man. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, I don't want to please Jesus. I want to please you, little maid. Don't expose me here. I'm hidden away. I'm invisible. Don't bring shame on me. I don't even understand what you're saying. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. Suddenly we see underscored the very reality that Peter, the bold Peter, is a people pleaser. Peter wants to be accepted. Social scientists tell us that the first thing any person does when they join a group of people is look for the approval of that group. They ask the question, is there a place where I can be secure among these people? He has been among the disciples of Jesus Christ. He has walked the dusty roads with Jesus. And there he wants to be approved by Jesus. Jesus rebukes him at one point and says, Get behind me, Satan. That must have been utterly humiliating for Peter. And now this same issue is happening again. The Lord wants, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to get at the core of his heart, which is, I want to be pleasing. I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. It's groupthink. We're terrified of being identified and ostracized and vilified. And this is always the pattern that the demonic follows. If he can isolate you, if he can vilify you, he can ostracize you. He can make people turn against you. This is happening right now in America and Christians haven't awakened to this yet. Christians in America are slowly but surely being kicked out of the public square 
were being vilified for our stand on abortion. Any true Christian is going to stand against murdering a child. You say to me, but pastor, it's a woman's choice. No, it's not. The placenta, the baby, have their own DNA. It's not identical with mama. It is a separate life within mama. And this woman has the choice of whether to go to bed with a man and conceive a child. That's when she had the choice. Do I go to bed or don't I with this man? Once the child is conceived, she has no choice. That child is a human life, and it's murder to abort it. Now I praise God that the blood of Jesus even forgives murder. And some of you who are listening to this broadcast have murdered your baby. And you will be sorrowful all the days of your life if you have a a kind and sensitive heart and you're truly in Jesus, you will have to repent of that. But by grace, that sin can be washed away and you can be restored. But you see, in America, a person who stands against abortion a person who stands against transgenderism, a person who stands against homosexuality and homosexual marriage, an oxymoron, that person will be vilified in America. That's happening all across our country. And when we're vilified sufficiently, We can be ostracized, even as the Jews were in Germany. And then a solution can be found to destroy us. To destroy those who stand boldly for Jesus Christ, who are not afraid. There will be genocide in America if this course is not reversed. This is a standard Alinsky tactic that is being employed by the left in America today against Christians. Peter, he wants to be a pleaser. He wants to not be recognized as a follower of Jesus because now Jesus is in a place of shame. And he does not want also to face the shame. He wants the approval of these servants of the high priest. Now she looked at him. You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. He denied it, saying, I know not, neither do I understand what you're saying. And he went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed. 
Now that should have awakened Peter's conscience, but it did not. The maid, having seen him again, she began to say to the one, I, this man, is from among them. And after a short time, again, the ones having stood by, began to say to Peter, and Luke says, a man, said to Peter, truly you are from among them, for you are a Galilean, even your speech is similar. The Galilean brogue was different than the Jerusalem speech. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not this man about whom you were speaking. To curse and swear, it doesn't mean he was using curse words. It simply means that he began to take vows. He began to bring curses upon himself. If I know this man, let me be cursed before God. And suddenly, the rooster crowed a second time. Now, one of the other Gospels says that at just that moment, the eyes of Jesus turned fully upon Peter. And in that glance, Peter's heart was utterly broken. Suddenly, he was caught red-handed in his sin. He was exposed fully before the eyes of Jesus for the wickedness he was doing in trying to be approved by these wicked men and women who were instrumental in putting the master to death. Peter remembered the, the rhema word, the living word that Jesus had said to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter broke and he wept. All he could do was weep. Well, that's not quite true. There's another man. His name was Judas. Now, Judas likewise was likewise was exposed he made arrangements to betray jesus and they paid him his silver he went to the chief priests and confessed that he had sold a man that was not worthy of being sold that he was a righteous man and they said what is that to us and Judas cast away the, the silver coin, coins. He threw them on the floor, and he ran out. And now he, along with Peter, are facing the darkness of that night where Jesus is being tried and finally being brought before Pilate. They both have had all of the illusions of their life ripped away suddenly. They had both been completely exposed. Now Judas was a, only one of the disciples that actually came from Jerusalem. 
He was a political insider. He had another agenda going. He was determined that either Jesus would be the Messiah and ascend the throne and take over and establish Judas as the manager of money. He was also a thief. He was stealing from the purse, but that was not exposed. Jesus covered him and his dignity, but he did wash his feet and then said to him, go do what you have to do. And John records that he went out and it was night. Not just the sun had set, it was night for him because he now was in the night of his soul. Every man needs to come to the night of his soul. Every man and every woman must come to the night of his soul where he looks honestly at the condition of his heart and he must make a decision. Will I turn with weeping and repent? Will I begin the journey from the pig pen where I have lost all sense of my manhood or my womanhood, where I have lost all of my dignity, where I have been utterly stripped out. Every man and woman must come to that place where all of the the coverings of the culture have been stripped away. And we see ourselves in the light of Jesus. And in that dark night, know that we have no identity of our own except a sinner condemned to hell. Hopeless. Now some of you have become followers of Jesus, but you have never been taken to that place And so you continue to play with sin. You continue to play with darkness. You make excuses for your behavior. But you've never met the night of your soul. Until you enter into the night of your soul, you cannot truly be saved. How can you be saved if you've never been lost? If you've never faced the reality of your lostness, how can you be saved? So we face on one side Peter who has lost the the respect of the other disciples. He's been shown to be red-handed, a denier of Jesus Christ. He has shown that he is all about pleasing himself and keeping people happy with him. And he'll, he'll lie, he'll cheat, 
He'll do whatever is necessary to preserve his dignity. At any cost, his dignity must be preserved. And we see Judas, the manipulator. What he wants more than anything else is money. He wants success. He wants recognition. He wants to be somebody. And now suddenly both of these men have had their their personhood stripped away from them and they are bare naked before reality and they see themselves in all of the ugliness of their inner being. And now they must make a choice. And that choice will determine eternity. Peter, Judas. Judas decides that he will not begin the long journey home. The prodigal son, as he was in that pig pen, had to make a decision. Was he a pig or was he a man? More importantly, was he a pig or was he still the son of his father? Could he see some glimmering of love from the father that would call him out of the pig pen and back to the dignity of being the son of a holy and righteous and successful man? He'd had his money stripped away. He'd had his friendships stripped away. He'd lost his clothes. He'd lost his shoes. Everything wore out. And he was sitting with these horrible pigs feeding them the pods that he was to feed them. And he was starving to death. He was being fed pig medicine. The filth of the pigs was upon him and upon his clothing. He stunk. And now this prodigal son had to make a decision. It says he came to his senses. What does that mean? He began to understand that he was not a pig. He self-identified with the pigs. And now he had to make a decision. Will I leave my pig life? And will I go back to my father? You see... Many of you listening to this broadcast today identify with the pigs. All you want is to feast on what you want to feast on. And so you'll you'll eat every unclean thing. You'll fill your heart with wicked movies like this wicked movie Superman and Batman. You'll fill your heart with this filth with this violence, with this ungodliness. You'll fill your heart with 
with every kind of unclean thing. You are self-identifying with the devil, with pigs. You're unclean. But you haven't come to your senses yet. America has not come to its senses yet. It's going to. God is going to bring such hardship upon this nation that you are going to have to make a decision. Will you leave your sin? Or do you love your sin? Do you love your piggishness? Do you love the darkness of your soul so much that you will die before you leave it? That prodigal son had to, had to make a decision. I'm going to reclaim my manhood. I'm going to reclaim my sonship. And he begins the long, exhausting journey in his pig clothes and his pig stench back to his father. The father sees him a long way off and runs to him and wraps him in his robe over the piggish stench and receives him as a son, cleans him up, puts new sandals on his feet, puts a new ring on his finger, throws a party. This son which is lost has returned. God specializes in receiving back those who have a pig nature. He'll receive you. But you're going to have to recognize your piggishness and say, I'm done with it. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to I'm going to become a servant of the Most High God. I just heard about a pastor who began to drink alcohol and when he'd get drunk in the secretness of his home he would abuse his wife and then he had an affair with another woman and it became public knowledge and he lost his church his wife didn't leave him. They stayed together for the sake of the children, one living in a bedroom and another living in another bedroom and not speaking with each other. Ships passing in the dark. The daughter spoke with me and said, we used to be a happy family. We were always in church. I'd forgotten much of this, she said, but now I must find Jesus. Hunger in her heart to find Jesus, led to the pigsty by her preacher daddy. She said, Daddy's become an atheist. I said, No. 
Your daddy's not an atheist. He's just a very rebellious sinner. I want to meet him. I want to talk to him about Jesus. Why? Because the worst sinner can come home to Jesus and all will be forgiven. Are you a long way from Jesus today? Are you self-identifying with the pigs? Are you recognizing the wickedness of your heart? Jesus is waiting for you to come home. Judas, self-identified as a pig, an unclean man, And the steps that he had taken could only lead him to one place, and that was to hang himself. To hang himself. A suicide. But he could have chosen, as Peter did, to take other steps, steps that would not lead him to suicide but steps that would lead him back to his Father, steps that would lead him back to Jesus. He had to choose. Judas had to choose. You have to choose. Right now, many of you can't choose because you've not yet admitted that you're in the pig pen. You haven't been stripped out enough yet. You haven't lost enough yet to finally admit that all is hopeless and that you can never live a righteous life on your own and you can never get all the money you want on your own and you can never get all the love you want on your own. Only Jesus can love us like our hearts desire. Some of you are eating pig food like the movies and Kardashians and Hollywood, professional sports, the entertainment of the world is all pig food. I asked my daddy when I was a boy, Daddy, could we go to the theater and see a movie? My, my daddy's answer was very profound. He said, Raymond, it's almost lunchtime. Why don't we go downtown and find a garbage can and let's search through it and see if we can find some lunch. I said, Daddy, no. I don't want to go get my lunch out of a garbage can. He laughed and he said, neither do I. Well, let's go make some pancakes and eggs. Oh, that sounded much better because the eggs were coming out of the refrigerator and the pancake was going to be made with the farmer's milk. When you go to the world's entertainment, you're getting a lunch out of a garbage can. And 
that brings you into the pig life. You lose your manhood. You lose your womanhood. You lose your identity. And finally, you become nothing. Simply a wreath of reflection of the people around you in your group think. You act like they act. You go where they go. You think like they think. The day has come for America to wake up, to turn aside. What decision? What decision will you make? Will you make a decision to turn aside from the wickedness of this world? Will you make a decision to turn aside from the pig life? And will you make a decision to finally begin to carefully look at your life and begin to cut off those things that are holding you in that prison? One man said to me, I've been in prison a long time. I'm just waiting on God. But he entertains himself with television. He entertains himself with all of the enjoyment of the world. Does he not know? He's feasting on the pig food. And when you feast on the pig food, you get put in jail. You get put in prison. You're imprisoned by the lust of your heart and the flesh. By the devil. Today, would you begin to make some choices about leaving the pig pen? About going back home? About going to Jesus? Almighty God, I don't want to eat any more pig food. I totally renounce my self-identity with the pigs. I am your son. Lord Jesus, I am your servant. I'm unworthy to be called a son. May I just be a servant in the household of God. And you came and put your arms around me and said, My son has returned. Let's have a party. Lord, I celebrate your resurrection. I celebrate your resurrection and I say, isn't Jesus amazing? Oh, Jesus, thank you. I praise and I worship and I honor you today. Lord, turn the heart of your people in America from the pig food that is leading them into a life of sin and darkness. Lord, make it plain to our hearts. Unveil the true condition of our hearts before you, O God. And let us be filled with your glory. Restore us, O Lord. 
I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I invite you please to consider helping us fund this program. This is a Jesus-sponsored broadcast. I come and speak what he gives me to speak. I'm asking him to move in your heart, to step forward and be very generous. We're $1,200 short of having the money necessary to pay for this broadcast for this month. If necessary, later this week I'll do an offertory. But if you're willing, would you quickly call our producer right now at 877-534-0780 and tell him how much you'll contribute toward this end-of-the-month need? My brother, my sister, I love you in Jesus. We're going to continue this week talking about this issue. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.